again, as we start in this chapter, refers to himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, but he's still sitting in that Roman prison, but he doesn't call himself a prisoner of Rome, instead a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Another reminder to us of God's sovereignty over all things, even our circumstances, even the fact that he's sitting in a prison cell. See, Paul recognizes that he's not held prisoner by iron bars in a prison cell. He's held captive by the bonds of love of Jesus Christ. For the last several weeks, we've looked at the first three chapters of Ephesians where he talked about that love displayed, spiritual truths, God's promises. We learned that God loved us. He chose us in Christ, before he even built the world, before very creation, he chose you and you and you. He's given us every spiritual blessing through Jesus. He's redeemed us, he's forgiven us, and he's washed us of our sins. He's given us new life in Jesus. He secured our salvation. He brought the Jews and the Gentiles together into one humanity, one race of God's people. He's adopted us into his family, making us his children, brothers and sisters to one another. But now Paul, he's changing it. He's, he's, he's shifting gears here a little bit. He says, okay, now you know the truths of God. Now you need to put it into practice. Now that you know what you believe, let's talk about how to behave. 
Because how we behave in life comes out of what we believe. There's a little boy who didn't really like school very much. He was really bad at math. And no matter what mom and dad did, he still just couldn't get math. They figured, well, maybe he's just lazy or something. They tried tutors. They tried special classes. Nothing worked. So finally they decided, you know what? We're not very religious people, but let's sign him up for this parochial school down the street. What could hurt? So they signed him up. And he started, every day he came home, he'd go straight to his room and start studying. Wow, I guess we made a good choice. I don't, you know, what's going on? And then it came time to get the report card. And the little boy comes home, kind of trudging along, drops his report card on the table, goes back up to his room. Mom and Dad say, "Oh no, this doesn't look good. This doesn't look good." They, they open it, they open it, and it's oh, an A, an A in math. So they call him downstairs. I say, what was it? Was it the, the special tutors at the new school? No. Well, was it the textbooks that they use at the new school? No. The teachers? No. Well, what was it? How did you go from flunking math to getting an A in math? He said, well, when I walked into that building, and I saw that guy nailed to the plus sign. I knew they meant business. What we believe changes our behavior. It dictates how we behave. Paul is urging them to walk worthy of the call they've received. Because of the truth of what God has done for us. Because of what we know to be true about our God and our Savior. Our behavior should be nothing less than a reflection of those truths. What Paul's about to describe is this life that the Lord has called you to. The life that you are worthy to be called to. It's a life that's consistent with who our Heavenly Father is. It's a life that is consistent with all that he has done for us. And it's a life that's lived out of gratitude for all that we've received through Jesus Christ. Paul begins to describe this life with a call to unity. In verse 3, he says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then he gives them a roadmap how to strive towards this unity. And his first request is for believers to be completely humble and gentle. Humble. Humility. Not really a thing that the world likes to hear today. Humility is considered a bad thing. There was a Gallup poll that was taken in 1950 of high schoolers. And they were asked, are you very important? 12% of those high schoolers said, yes, I am very important. Same question was asked in 2006 to high schoolers. They said, are you very important? 
a whopping 80% of these high schoolers said, yes, I am very important. Because the world tells us we're great. The world says we are awesome. The world says we deserve all the best things, even if it hurts someone else. We live in a world that revolves around me. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus calls us to be humble. Being humble is looking at yourself in comparison to a holy God. It's not comparing ourselves to one another. That's not humility. Humility is us standing before a holy God, recognizing our need before him. But in our sinful nature, we're self-centered. We're selfish. We're self-seeking, self-absorbed. In one word, we're just prideful. And pride is the complete opposite of humility. And it's one of the greatest barriers to unity. When pride sets in, we want our way. We think our way is the only right way. We think we're more important than someone else. But when we look at ourselves against the one who saved us, we see ourselves for who and what we really are. That we bring nothing to God. And it's only through him and in him that we find our value. Because the ground at the foot of the cross is level. When we have a right view of ourselves before God, that's when we begin to walk in humility. That's when we begin to see that nothing in life is actually about me. It's not about my wants. It's not about how I feel. It's all about glorifying him. With the spirit of humility, that's when we put others before ourselves. In fact, we look for ways to honor God with our words and our actions. And when we have a spirit of humility, that's when we yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And that's when we trust him to lead us. And that's when he uses us. It's only with a humble spirit that we're then able to be gentle with one another and patient with one another. Paul says to bear with one another in love. Now let's get this straight. We all have issues. Every one of us in this room has issues. If you say you don't, you're lying. So then you have issues, see? But God is working on every one of us. Because none of us have attained that perfection. None of us are walking on water. And yet, God bears with us as he molds us and he shapes us. And that's what we're to do with one another. Bear with one another because we're family. And then Paul takes it one step further, saying that we're one body. One spirit called to one hope with one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And that's the foundation of our unity. There's one Holy Spirit in this world that's bringing people from death to life. The same spirit that drew you towards God drew me towards God. 
The same spirit that saved you saved me. And the same spirit that lives in you lives in me. We're united and made what at the deepest level of our being because the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. When we drew near to God, when we repented and accepted God's gift of grace, we received the gift of hope. One hope. That's the hope. That's the assurance of our eternal home. It's a hope that's common to every believer. It binds us together in purpose and service to our Lord. It's that common hope in Christ that keeps us all faithful while others fall away. We have one Lord. The same Jesus that's master of your life is the same Jesus that's master of mine. As Paul said it best, as believers, we're all prisoners of Jesus Christ, held captive by the bonds of his love. The same Lord who directs your life directs mine, too. We have one faith. There's one set of doctrines and truth revealed in God's word. And it's his revelation to us of himself and his plan with mankind. We share that. It teaches us what to believe and how to behave based on what we believe. The same word, the same truth that determines your walk is the same word and the same truth that determines my walk. Paul finishes up this foundation with one God and one Father of all. In Christ, we share the same Father, the same Father who loves us, cares for us, provides for us. We're members of the same family. It's the fatherhood of God that, again, is the basis for our unity as believers. Then Paul takes this concept of oneness and unity even further, and he says, you're one body. Paul uses this illustration several times. He uses it in 1 Corinthians. He uses it in Romans. And each time, Paul reminds us that the head of that body is Jesus Christ. Now, we can look at the human body, and we know without a head, body's dead. It's useless. You can function without a limb. You can function without an organ. But a body cannot function without a head. The human body is alive because it's connected to the head. The body of Christ, the church, is alive because our Savior is alive. And if we take our eyes off of him and if we disconnect from him in his will and his purpose then as a body of believers, we're rendered useless, ineffective. But Paul says to us, but you, you are a body with Jesus Christ as the head. You are a body made one by the Spirit. And like the body, you have many parts working together towards one goal, one purpose, which is to glorify your Father in heaven. And yet, Even in our unity, we're diverse. Because Christ has gifted us all differently. Paul says that some are gifted for apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, so that God's people will be equipped for works of service. See, the human body is a marvel of function. 
and marvel of ability. Because of the diverse parts that work together. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. Romans 12 says this. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Each of us has been given a spiritual gift to share with the rest of the body. Every gift is valuable to the mission of the body. The person who preaches up here is no more valuable than the person who takes out the trash. Paul clarifies it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. God has placed each part exactly where he wants it. In other words, you aren't here by accident. You aren't here because you chose to be. You are here because God placed you here. He has something for you to do. God knows that there is something that you need to do to help this body function in unity and harmony. And don't think that this body doesn't need you. Try talking without a tongue. Try walking without a big toe. Try writing a letter without a thumb. Every person, every part that God brings together in the body is for the maturity of the body so that the whole body can reach their fullest potential in Christ. When I serve the body using my gifts and you serve the body using your gifts, the whole body is strengthened up and joined together in love. As we each use our gifts, the whole body is fed and nurtured, growing more and more like Christ. And just as our physical bodies are a united whole, so the body of Christ is also joined and held together as one. And as God works in each one of us to develop our lives to our fullest potential, and as we each allow him to pour our lives into others, that's when the whole body is blessed. Every one of us is different in so many ways. But we're brought together as one in Christ. God has called us. He saved us. He indwells us. And he gifts us. Why? So we can serve as one. The oneness and the unity that's found in Christ... It's meant to overcome race. It's meant to overcome ethnicity. It transcends culture. It transcends economic status. It even transcends tradition. And if we believe in the oneness of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then we must behave in a way that honors glorifies and exemplifies that unity to the world. Our belief about one God, one spirit, one faith, one hope 
then that belief should be evident in our behavior. Our unity goes beyond just human relationships. It goes beyond just friendship. Our unity is supernatural. John MacArthur says it this way in his commentary. We are God-created, God-loved, God-saved, God-fathered, God-controlled, God-sustained, God-filled, and God-blessed. We are one people under one sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And that is why we're one body. We're united through him. You can't break it. There's a farmer who needed some work done on his farm. So he called a carpenter out. And the carpenter came out and said, okay, how can I help you? And the farmer said, well, you see that house over there? That's my brother. And he's a nasty man. He's a nasty, nasty man. He said some terrible things to me. And you see that creek that goes down this path here? He did that. He took a bulldozer because he wanted us to be separate. He said, so what I need you to do is take all that lumber over there around the farm, and I need you to build a big, big fence. Let's make it eight feet tall so I don't have to look at his building. I don't even want to see his face, so you build that fence. And the carpenter said, oh, okay, I'll see what I can do. So the farmer goes into the city for the day, and the carpenter's hammering, cutting, building. As the sun's about to set, the farmer comes home, and he looks out. He says to the carpenter, you didn't do what I asked. The carpenter says, well, I did what I needed to do. And they look out, and there's a bridge that's going up over the creek. And coming across the bridge is the brother with his hand out to the farmer. He says, you built a bridge. He said, of all the nasty things I've said to you, of all the terrible things I've done, and yet you built a bridge so we could come back together. And the carpenter says, well, I guess my work here is done. I have some other bridges to build. I'll leave you guys alone. You see, our carpenter, our Savior, Jesus Christ, has built a bridge. Not only between us and God, but between one another. In bridging the gap of sin with his cross, he's gifted us with his love. So that we can love one another, becoming more like him, so that the whole body is built up until we all reach unity in the faith. What a God we serve. He makes us into new creations. He calls us into his service. He restores us in his spirit to use our God-given gifts for his purposes. And then we're built up in maturity, becoming more and more like Jesus. Jesus has built the bridge, uniting us to God. And one another. And if we believe that we are united in our faith in Christ, then our behavior should display that belief. As we walk in love toward the Lord and toward one another, 
we show the world out there that our faith is real. It's not just words. It's not just a book. It's a living, breathing faith because our Savior is alive. Listen to Jesus' prayer the night he was arrested from John 17. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Jesus' last prayer was that we would be united the way he is with the Father and the Spirit. The principle of unity, it's unbreakable because it's already established by God. But the practice of unity, that's dependent on me and you. Are we willing to approach people humbly, gently, speaking the truth in love so that people are built up, not torn down? Are we willing to use the gifts God gave us to help others grow in their faith? Because it isn't easy. It's a bumpy road. Listen to how Paul describes it in Galatians 4. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Paul compared the work towards unity, this oneness of spirit, and growing together in the faith with the pains of childbirth. Not exactly the best endorsement. But where there's growth... Where there's unity, there are going to be challenges. When my daughter was, one of my daughters was younger, she used to come in during the night. Mommy, Daddy, my legs hurt. My legs are so sore. And I say, oh, it's probably just growing pains. Just growing pains. Just go back to sleep. You'll feel better in the morning. She's now about 5'10". She grew about four inches in a year. But just like the human body, growth, development, it hurts. Sometimes it just hurts. But if we want to grow, becoming more like Christ, there are going to be challenges. There's going to be pain. But it's worth it. Because in there is the growth, in there is the love, and there is the unity. If we believe that we are one in the Lord, 
If we believe that we are of one faith, one in the spirit, one body under the headship of Christ, then it will determine our behavior. And we'll go from simply professing Jesus with words to projecting Jesus with our actions. And that's the witness and example of love and unity that the world out there needs. Have you seen the news lately? We're a divided country. We're a divided people. We have the opportunity to show the world what unity is in our Savior. We have the opportunity to show what love looks like. It doesn't mean always agreeing. It doesn't mean that we conform to the same image. In our unity, there's diversity. And with our diversity comes unity because of him. That's what it's all about. Heavenly Father, Holy, Holy Father, oh, we thank you. We come before you, just a needy people, Father, unworthy of, of the sacrifice, unworthy of your love, but so humbled by all that you've done. Through Jesus, you've, you've given us every blessing, Father. May we leave this place walking in ways that are worthy of the call upon us. May we leave this place encouraged by your word, challenged by your word, to honor you in all that we do, our words, our actions. May you direct our steps, Father. May you direct the paths we take. If we start to veer off that path, Father, just bring us back. Please bring us back. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.